Book One, Chapter Two of Amelia, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Amelia by Henry Fielding. The history sets out. Observations on the excellency of the English Constitution and curious examinations before a justice of peace. On the 1st of April, in the year blank, the watchmen of a certain parish, I know not particularly which, within the liberty of Westminster, brought several persons whom they had apprehended the preceding night before Jonathan Thrasher, Esquire, one of the justices of the peace for that liberty. But here, reader, before we proceed to the trials of these offenders, we shall, after our usual manner, premise some things which it may be necessary for thee to know. It hath been observed, I think, by many, as well as the celebrated writer of three letters, that no human institution is capable of consummate perfection, an observation which, perhaps, that writer at least gathered from discovering some defects in the polity even of this well-regulated nation, and indeed if there should be any such defect in a constitution which my lord cook long ago told us the wisdom of all the wise men in the world if they had all men together at one time could not have equalled which some of our wisest men who were met together long before said was too good to be altered in any particular and which nevertheless hath been mending ever since by a great number of the said wise men if i say this constitution should be imperfect we may be allowed i think to doubt whether any such faultless model can be found among the institutions of men it will probably be objected that the small imperfections which i am about to produce do not lie in the laws themselves but in the ill execution of them but with submission this appears to me to be no less an absurdity than to say of any machine that it is excellently made though incapable of performing its function good laws should execute themselves in a well-regulated state at least if the same legislature which provides the laws doth not provide for the execution of them they act as graham would do for if he should form all the parts of a clock in the most exquisite manner yet put them so together that the clock could not go in this case surely we might say that there was a small defect in the constitution of the clock to say the truth graham would soon see the fault and would easily remedy it the fault indeed could be no other than that the parts were improperly disposed perhaps reader i have another illustration which will set my intention in still a clearer light before you figure to yourself then a family the master of which should dispose of the several economical offices in the following manner viz should put his butler in the coach-box his steward behind his coach his coachman in the butlery and his footman in the stewardship and in the same ridiculous manner should misemploy the talents of every other servant it is easy to see what a figure such a family must make in the world as ridiculous as this may seem i have often considered some of the lower officers in our civil government to be disposed in this very manner to begin i think as low as i well can with the watchmen in our metropolis who being to guard our streets by night from thieves and robbers an office which at least requires strength of body are chosen out of those poor old decrepit people who are 
from their want of bodily strength, rendered incapable of getting a livelihood by work. These men, armed only with a pole, which some of them are scarce able to lift, are to secure the persons and houses of His Majesty's subjects from the attacks of gangs of young, bold, stout, desperate, and well-armed villains. Quae non viribus istis, munera convenient. If the poor old fellows should run away from such enemies, no one, I think, can wonder, unless it be that they were able to make their escape. The higher we proceed among our public officers and magistrates, the less defects of this kind will, perhaps, be observable. Mr. Thrasher, however, the justice before whom the prisoners above mentioned were now brought, had some few imperfections in his magistratical capacity. I own I have been sometimes inclined to think that this office of a justice of peace requires some knowledge of the law. For this simple reason, because in every case which comes before him, he is to judge and act according to the law. Again, as these laws are contained in a great variety of books, the statutes which relate to the office of a justice of peace making of themselves at least two large volumes in folio, and that part of his jurisdiction which is founded on the common law being dispersed in above a hundred volumes, I cannot conceive how this knowledge should be acquired without reading. And yet certain it is, Mr. Thrasher never read one syllable of the matter. This, perhaps, was a defect, but this was not all for where mere ignorance is to decide a point between two litigants, it will always be an even chance whether it decides right or wrong. But sorry am I to say, right was often in a much worse situation than this, and wrong hath often had five hundred to one on his side before that magistrate, who, if he was ignorant of the law of England, was yet well versed in the laws of nature. He perfectly well understood that fundamental principle so strongly laid down in the Institutes, of the learned Rochefoucault, by which the duty of self-love is so strongly enforced, and every man is taught to consider himself as the centre of gravity, and to attract all things thither. To speak the truth plainly, the justice was never indifferent to a case, but when he could get nothing on either side. Such was the justice to whose tremendous bar Mr. Gotobed, the constable, on the day above mentioned, brought several delinquents, who, as we have said, had been apprehended by the watch for diverse outrages. The first who came upon his trial was as bloody a spectre as ever the imagination of a murderer or a tragic poet conceived. This poor wretch was charged with a battery by a much stouter man than himself. Indeed, the accused person bore about him some evidence that he had been in an affray, his clothes being very bloody, but certain open sluices on his own head sufficiently showed whence all that scarlet stream had issued, whereas the accuser had not the least mark or appearance of any wound. The justice asked the defendant what he meant by breaking the king's peace, to which he answered, Upon my soul, I do love the king very well, and I have not been after breaking anything of his, that I do know, but upon my soul, this man hath break my head, and my head did break his stick. That is all, Gra. He then offered to produce several witnesses against this improbable accusation, but the justice presently interrupted him, saying, Sirrah, your tongue betrays your guilt. You are an Irishman, and that is always sufficient evidence with me. The second criminal was a poor woman, who was taken up by the watch as a street-walker. It was alleged against her that she was found walking the streets after twelve o'clock, and the watchman declared he believed her to be a common strumpet. 
She pleaded in her defence, as was really the truth, that she was a servant and was sent by her mistress, who was a little shopkeeper and upon the point of delivery, to fetch a midwife, which she offered to prove by several of the neighbours, if she was allowed to send for them. The justice asked her why she had not done it before, to which she answered she had no money and could get no messenger. The justice then called her several scurrilous names, and declaring she was guilty within the statute of street-walking, ordered her to Bridewell for a month. A genteel young man and woman were then set forward, and a very grave-looking person swore he caught them in a situation which we cannot as particularly describe here as he did before the magistrate, who, having received a wink from his clerk, declared with much warmth that the fact was incredible and impossible. He presently discharged the accused parties, and was going, without any evidence, to commit the accuser for perjury. But this the clerk dissuaded him from, saying he doubted whether a justice of peace had any such power. The justice at first differed in opinion, and said he had seen a man stand in the pillory about perjury. Nay, he had known a man in jail for it, too. And how came he there, if he was not committed thither? Why, that is true, sir, answered the clerk. And yet I have been told by a very great lawyer that a man cannot be committed for perjury before he is indicted. And the reason is, I believe, because it is not against the peace before the indictment makes it so. Why, that may be, cries the justice, and indeed perjury is but scandalous words, and I know a man cannot have no warrant for those, unless you put for rioting. Footnote. Opus est interprete. By the laws of England, abusive words are not punishable by the magistrate. Some commissioners of the peace, therefore, when one scold hath applied to them for a warrant against another, from a too eager desire of doing justice, have construed a little harmless scolding into a riot, which is in law an outrageous breach of the peace committed by several persons, by three at least, nor can a less number be convicted of it. Under this word, rioting, or rioting, for I have seen it spelt both ways, many thousands of old women have been arrested and put to expense, sometimes in prison, for a little intemperate use of their tongues. This practice began to decrease in the year 1749, them into the warrant. The witness was now about to be discharged, when the lady whom he had accused declared she would swear the peace against him, for that he had called her a whore several times. "'Oh, ho, you will swear the peace, madam, will you?' cries the justice. "'Give her the peace presently, and pray, constable, secure the prisoner. Now we have him, while a warrant is made to take him up.' all which was immediately performed, and the poor witness, for want of securities, was sent to prison. A young fellow, whose name was Booth, was now charged with beating the watchman in the execution of his office and breaking his lantern. He was deposed by two witnesses, and the shattered remains of a broken lantern, which had been long preserved for the sake of its testimony, were produced to corroborate the evidence. The justice, perceiving the criminal to be but shabbily dressed, was going to commit him without asking any further questions. At length, however, at the earnest request of the accused, the worthy magistrate submitted to hear his defence. The young man then alleged, as was in reality the case, that as he was walking home to his lodging, he saw two men in the street cruelly beating a third, upon which he had stopped and endeavoured to assist the person who was so unequally attacked, that the watch came up during the affray and took them all four into custody, that they were immediately carried to the round-house, where the two original assailants, who appeared to be men of fortune, 
found means to take up the matter and were discharged by the constable a favour which he himself having no money in his pocket was unable to obtain he utterly denied having assaulted any of the watchmen and solemnly declared that he was offered his liberty at the price of half a crown though the bare word of an offender can never be taken against the oath of his accuser yet the matter of this defence was so pertinent and delivered with such an air of truth and sincerity that had the magistrate been endued with much sagacity or had he been very moderately gifted with another quality very necessary to all who are to administer justice he would have employed some labour in cross-examining the watchmen at least he would have given the defendant the time he desired to send for the other persons who were present at the affray neither of which he did in short the magistrate had too great an honour for truth to suspect that she ever appeared in sordid apparel nor did he ever sully his sublime notions of that virtue by uniting them with the mean ideas of poverty and distress there remained now only one prisoner and that was the poor man himself in whose defence the last-mentioned culprit was engaged his trial took but a very short time a cause of battery and broken lantern was instituted against him and proved in the same manner nor would the justice hear one word in defence but though his patience was exhausted his breath was not for against this last wretch he poured forth a great many volleys of menaces and abuse the delinquents were then all dispatched to prison under a guard of watchmen and the justice and the constable adjourned to a neighbouring alehouse to take their morning repast end of book one chapter two